einer neuen Folge von The Canadian Wants to Know. Ein Podcast für Englischlernende in Deutschland, der kraftvolle Geschichten und anregende Fragen nutzt, damit ihr auf unterhaltsame Weise eure Sprachkenntnisse verbessern, vertiefen und festigen könnt. Hier ist euer Host, The Canadian George Robledo. Hello Sean and welcome to my podcast. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me uh, on your yeah, podcast. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I am Sean. I'm originally from South Africa, uh, born and raised there. And I have been living in Germany now for 14 years. And I've actually got my German passport. So I'm a German citizen. But uh, yeah, as with, as with these things, I, I'm kind of between cultures. I'm still kind of a South African and kind of a German, I guess you could say. That's fun. And uh, I know that you were recently in South Africa. What yes. was that like? Yes, I went back to South Africa um, for the first time, actually, in four years. So uh, I left the, usually we would visit every 18 months, my family and I. So I've got a, a wife over here. She's also from South Africa. And I've got three kids, but the three kids were all born in Germany. And usually what we do is every 18 months to two years, we take a trip back to South Africa. But because my wife was pregnant with our third child and everything, we left it a bit longer. And of course, just as it got to about three years since our last visit, or two and a half years, coronavirus hit. So we weren't able mm. to travel back to South Africa. So that it ended up being that we were away for four years. Wow. So I recently decided, because it was my dad's 70th birthday, to get back, uh, just me on my own without the kids, and without my wife, uh, just to go and celebrate my dad's 70th with him. So it was the first time that I was in South Africa for four years. And it was amazing because, yeah. of course, it's good. It's very good for the soul to see family again after so long. And so much has happened in between. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but, but it was also interesting to see South Africa for the first time in four years. <laughs> because, you know, when you go back regularly to a place, you kind of see it changing over time and the changes aren't that noticeable. But if you leave a gap of four years like I did and you go back, a lot changes in that time. Wow. <laughs> you can see a lot changes. Can you give us an example of something that you noticed? Yeah, I just think, you, you know, you kind of get left out of the culture a bit. And that's what I meant with, uh, I noticed that I'm not really a South African anymore because mm. the, people reference songs, South African songs that I, I don't know, or movies that may have come out or TV shows, South African TV shows that have come out in the last four years. And you just kind of realize, wow, I don't know what these people are talking about anymore. Or they, they have phrases or catchphrases that maybe come from commercials or something. And you just, it's, you realize, wow, this culture is leaving me behind so I'm no longer part of it, really. I'm not part of it's like it's. I can't say that I'm a South African anymore, um, and that's that's what I definitely noticed this last time. Yeah, no, I had a very similar experience when mm -hmm. I went back to Canada after three years. Yeah, I'm like, this is home. Yeah, exactly. But it's not really home. Exactly. It it looks and feels a bit like what you know, and it's enough to kind of get nostalgic and get those old memories going. But at the same time. It's so familiar, but it's also so strange at the exact same time. So it's a very difficult yeah. feeling to kind of explain. No, absolutely. Yeah, I guess we're like kind of destined to be nomads now, like a citizen of nowhere now. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're or, not German enough, 
right? Exactly. And you'll <laughs> never be German enough. That's what I'm learning as well. Right. After 14 years in Germany, I will never be German enough and I will never be, I'll never feel German. But like mm -hmm. I said, I don't feel South African either. So I would yeah. say it's not a, for me, it's not a case of no nothingness. It's more a case of both. It's like a combination. I'm yeah, a combination absolutely. of both of these things somehow. And, and I'm also, part of it is how people see me because of obviously the, the being a foreigner here is part of my identity. It's how people uh, interact with me. They know I'm a foreigner. My German is, is, is pretty fluent, but it's not perfect. So that's also part of my identity. And it's just something that I think you have to embrace. No, I, I get that. Absolutely. Mm. And um, oh, I see it because I don't know how it was for you, but when I was growing up in Canada, I never had to think about my Canadianness. Mm -hmm. It's only when I left Canada that I'm like, oh, yeah. What, what, what does it mean to be Canadian? Exactly. What does it mean to be anything, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> question. What does it mean to be anything? But this is getting very philosophical very quickly. Yeah, that's way too quick. And it's going probably not in the direction I wanted to start in because we're here to talk about South Africa. Yes. And at least uh, we, let's start at the beginning. What are your memories growing up in South Africa? Well, it's a, I have many memories because obviously my whole childhood and teenage years. And then I also worked in uh, Johannesburg for a lot of the time that I was living in there, uh, living in South Africa. So I have a lot of memories from many different parts of my life or many different phases of my life. So it, obviously it has a very special place. But one of the predominant memories when I was a kid uh, and specifically growing up, obviously everyone knows apartheid, uh, the, the, the political system that was in place in South Africa for a long, long time. And uh, it was a system that was put in place to to so that the minority, the white minority could um, rule over the, the, uh, the whole country basically. And, and like I said, the, the, the white Afrikaans government was a minority group and they had all these laws, uh, to keep uh, most of the country oppressed basically. And, and obviously there were also a lot of people who died during the apartheid regime. Um, and I grew up at the end of that. So the apartheid officially ended in about 89, 1990, somewhere around there, but it was officially over when President Mandela was elected uh, in 1994. And at that time, I was, well, how old was I? I think it was about uh, 14, 15, somewhere around there when, when that, so, so, but when apartheid fell, I was just starting high school. So I was about 14. Yeah, I was about 14 years old when it, when it was falling. So a lot of my memories of, uh, of that period also have to do with apartheid and uh, seeing the system that was that had been in place and that I hadn't really been aware of up until that point. Did your life change that much um, after apartheid or what are some noticeable differences you saw? Yeah, well, my life didn't change because I was white. <laughs> so okay. in apartheid South Africa, it was very good if you had white skin, which is kind of like such an arbitrary thing that can grant you a good life. But that was the case, obviously, for me. And I led a very sheltered existence up until this point in time. My parents, they weren't, uh, they weren't, in fact, they were against apartheid. But it's difficult for me to say that because they weren't officially against it. They were kind of just, in, in, our, in our family, we knew it wasn't right. Um, but they weren't like on the streets protesting exactly. the political yeah. system and so on. They, they were just against the, the political system. And because of this, I led quite a sheltered existence. And in fact... At about 13 years of age, I had no idea 
that this was going on in South Africa. I was just going about my daily life and I didn't realize that black people were being systematically oppressed by, by the government and by these laws. And in fact, not just oppressed, but far worse things were happening as well. So I, I did a sheltered existence. And then what happened was I can remember kids in school starting to talk about uh, the possibility of us having a black president. And I can remember thinking at the time, my goodness, that, that would be strange. That would be weird <laughs> because I just, the only presidents I, I had known when I was growing up and starting to notice things was P.W. Boerta uh, and then later F.W. de Klerk, who was the last president before Nelson Mandela. And, and then when they started mentioning that there could be a black president, I was like, huh, that's never happened before. And that would yeah. be very, very strange. And then as things started happening, I remember one day at the start of a new school semester, I was sitting in class and one of the kids who walked into the school was a black girl. And I remember watching her come into the classroom and suddenly realizing for the first time in my life, I mean, I must've been a pretty dumb kid because you know, I was pretty, pretty old by the time I was noticing this. It took this black girl coming into the classroom for me to realize, oh my God, we don't have black people in the school. It's just whites. And then from that moment, from, from this black president, from the black girl coming into my classroom, it started to snowball. And I went home and asked my parents about some things. And, and, and then, only then I started realizing, wow, this is, this is what's been going on. And, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing to have sort of this awakening of sorts where, wow. where um, I guess I was just awakening intellectually, you could say. And mm -hmm. at the same time, as a teenager, just generally uh, having an, an awakening. And, and that, this end of apartheid came at exactly that time for me. Well, from what I've seen from movies and things like this, I can imagine there was a lot of fear in that time period of what's going to come next. Yeah. Can, can you kind of talk a little bit about that fear? Yeah. Whether from the white South Africans or... Like, what was that like? Yeah, it's, it, it was a difficult time all around. But I, what I will say about living in fear, we'd already been living in fear. So I can remember we used to do regular bomb drills in the, mm. in the school. So we used to practice a bomb situation. If, if, we, if someone called in a bomb and said there was, or someone found a bomb in the school, then we would all, you know, it was the normal evacuation thing. And, and I can remember us doing bomb drills. And the reason for that, of course, is that at that time, the ANC was bombing public targets and people mm -hmm. were afraid that schools could be potential targets. So uh, there was, because of the terrorist, um, and, and it's difficult to say terrorist. And when I, when I use the mm -hmm. word terrorist, I do it with a, with a, like, that's what we were told is that the ANC yeah. were terrorists. And in a way, they were. I mean, terrorism depends on the side that you're on, right? One minute, one yeah, man's terrorist, terrorist is another another person's freedom fighter. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, you know, we would we were warned about the terrorism. So there was already that fear living in us uh, as white South Africans. Um, of course, I can't talk about the fear that black South Africans faced on a daily basis because it was yeah. far far worse mm -hmm. than anything that we faced. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so once it all started ending, exactly like you say, there was so much uncertainty. We didn't mm. know if we were going to have a, a civil war. So you had the ANC that was about to come into power. But at the same time, it was this group, I don't know if you know about them, but they called the Avia Beer, the AWB. 
and the, their full name is Afrikaans Weerstandsbeweging, and that is the Afrikaans Resistance Movement, basically, mm. is what it translates to. No, I never heard about this. Yeah, and they were a bunch of white Afrikaners who obviously wanted to hold on to the apartheid system. They're extremely right-wing, and they were threatening, um, and they had quite a lot of uh, people at the time, and they were threatening to start their own terrorist activities to destabilize the country. And what they wanted was a civil war, and at that time, no one knew, are we going to have a civil war? Wow. There was also a lot of infighting uh, from the the tribes in, in South Africa. So mm-hmm. the two dominant ones, you could say, um, are Kosa, which is Nelson Mandela was a Kosa, mm-hmm. and Zulus. And Zulus are actually the majority. And they had their own political parties. And, and uh, there was a lot of infighting as well between these uh, black parties as to who would rule what role each would take when mm-hmm. when the new government came in place so there was also uh, a lot of violence black on uh, black people on black people mm-hmm. violence there was a lot of uh, potential violence coming from white extremists so <laughs> at that time there was a lot of uncertainty and of course from my perspective my pr- personal perspective i started yeah. noticing and reading all about all about this and and seeing it in the news and I had a lot of fear. I can remember having a lot of fear, especially like just the fact that we were going to have a black president. To me, that was also a bit terrifying because it was different. It was yeah. it was new. And I didn't know what that meant mm-hmm. for us as white people. Uh, these were all the questions that were going through my, my teenage mind. I was trying to come to terms with it. And I know my parents, when I think back as well, they were also very uncertain. And 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 like you said, there was a, a certain element of fear in in uh, in our daily lives as we were transitioning towards that new did your family ever think about leaving South Africa at that time? Or what was the thought process? Hmm. For I, I don't think so. I would say no, because I don't think that they had much options other than to stay in South Africa. I know a lot of white people did leave when apartheid ended because they were unsure uh, of what was going to happen. But my family, it wasn't an option. We would, we just, <laughs> we were going to stay. And, and that was, that was the only thing that we were going to do is just stay. And despite this fear, I think there was already a lot of positive signs. And of course, Nelson Mandela being the great man that he was, uh, was hugely, hugely uh, instrumental in that smooth and peaceful transition that we had from apartheid into a new democratic government. If it wasn't for him, who knows? Like it just, he gave a speech quite soon, um, I mean, I don't know if you know his speech when he became elected. It is a very famous speech where it was basically the gist of it. And if you haven't heard it, you should, people should look it up. Uh, maybe I can send you the link to it. Uh, yeah, for the then show I'll notes. leave it in the show notes. Um, because it was extremely, it, it made everyone feel a lot more calmer. He was saying, let's forget about the past essentially and let's focus on working together because this is our country, everyone, uh, you know, it, it, everyone. And it's incredible. Every time I think back to, the way Nelson Mandela handled that. He could have taken a very different approach and said, uh, let's get revenge on the white people. And I'm telling you, if, if, he had, if he had said that, he would have had a lot of people behind him, people that had been living for, for decades yeah. under this government, people had lost family members, people had lost their lives, education, all kinds of things. If he had said, let's take back what was rightfully ours, let's, let's do whatever, the country... The, the country would be very different today. And it was very amazing that he could have that sort of outlook and say, this is all of our country and we need to make it work together. Yeah. It, it, and that's why he's one of the most 
recognized figures in human history yeah. because others in a similar position took a different approach. If Absolutely. I look at Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Zimbabwe. Um, yeah. Zimbabwe is a prime example. And I think a lot of people were worried things were going to go that direction because in Zimbabwe you had um, maybe not just, maybe not right away when they, when they became liberated, mm-hmm. but many years later where they were having the land grabs. So mm-hmm. the, the government was taking farms away from white farmers who'd been living on the land. And it could have, it could have gone that way. Uh, it could, it could certainly have gone. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that it could have gone and it just took a strong leader with a, with a peaceful yeah. mindset um, to, to understand that the best for the country was a, a, a smooth transition. Because of course, if you think about it, uh, all of the position of power in, in all of them, all of the companies, all of the commerce were run by white people at the time. So if you, mm. if you just took everyone out of those positions, nothing would work anymore. The whole country would mm-hmm. fall because the black people hadn't gotten a chance to be in, in those positions. And, 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 but yeah, all exactly. the knowledge but was the with education the white and experience. Exactly. Exactly. So it was also a case of him realizing we have to work together to, to move that knowledge from these white people to everyone, to give that knowledge to everyone so that everyone's got a free and fair opportunity uh, to everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, he's an extraordinary figure. I remember in high school reading for the first time, I was like, wow. that's all. Yeah, he was amazing. He, yeah. he truly is one of my idols um, simply because of everything that we've just said and so much more, even the way he led the country in the first years. He was really a, a talisman and, and an icon for mm. everything that he said. He, he he did by example. He showed by example. So... Yeah, incredible man. Yeah, and and it can it, it says a lot to our political process because some people will say, "Oh, George, voting doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who goes into power. It's not going to change my life." And I'm like, "Yeah, it will. Like, if you have the wrong leader, it can change the direction of a country, the rhetoric around the country. So we, we should vote. <laughs> we should vote for the right leaders and hold these people accountable as well." My next question is. Because I've talked to some people about apartheid and things like this. And some people say when they look at the current situation with uh, a lot of the violence, a lot of the crime and uh, the corruption that we see from government, that maybe it would have been better to stay under the old regime. Like, what do you tell people who say that? (laughs) Uh, I don't have a lot of patience for people who say that because whatever the situation the country is in now... It, it it's not it's not an oppression of a group of people. There's not a few, you know it's it's difficult because, like you say, corruption is is play, plays in plays into it. And and uh, so there are. So let me answer your question like this: There are a lot of people who do who believe that it would have been better for 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 that for apartheid to continue because things were so well run. And the truth is, the white government was actually very innovative and very efficient and very, uh, how can I, like they, they, they were amazing if, if I have to give any credit to them with the kind of infrastructure they had to build up. So the, the world sanctioned them. So, and then they, they looked within South Africa and they, they, they created their own energy companies and their own, 
uh, all kinds of things. And they became a self-sufficient country with incredible, incredible infrastructure with almost no help from international countries um, because they had to do it all themselves because of sanctions and because of everyone being against South Africa because of, our, mm-hmm. of their political system. So that, from that perspective, it was incredible what the South African government was. And life was very good in South Africa. It was peaceful. It was uh, it was prosperous, but only for white people. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that is there that is just fundamentally wrong. And it it doesn't matter how serene or peaceful a country is if that's the case, because you you cannot have it at the expense of the the majority of the country living in poverty, not having access to the same things that you do. So when people say that, I can understand what they're trying to say, but the, the answer is not that. Uh, South Africa should have stayed in that sort of regime. The problems that we face now or that South Africa faces are because of the apartheid regime. So people didn't get the education that they required. Mm-hmm. There's still a problem with education. There's still an education gap. We see it here in Germany as well. Like if you look at to the East, okay, yeah, exactly. you can't say that there's Three an education gap, but there, but there's a five years later. Yeah. There's still a gap. There's still a gap. Salaries, education, yeah. Yeah. In so many aspects. Exactly. So even in a country like Germany, you still see that it's hard to change. Yeah. It right. is. It's, it's the imbalance and it's because of the previous political system. Mm-hmm. And it takes many generations to get right. And the problem is in South Africa that you had a lot of people come to power afterwards. Nelson Mandela was was a great president. He was very, uh, as I said, very inspirational. People saw him as an icon. He, he set a good example. The next president was Thabo Mbeki. And he was also a good president, but in different ways. Thabo Mbeki set up a lot of great foreign deals and he did a lot for the country on the international stage. So he was very much focused on uh, foreign affairs at the detriment of what was going on inside the country itself. Mm -hmm. So his focus was very much placing South Africa on the world stage, which was good for the country. But of course, a lot of things within the country got neglected. And and then then, uh, Jacob Zuma came to power and He's got a lot of followers in South Africa, and they probably agree disagree with with my statement. But it it's it seems to be clear that the, he was involved in a lot of corrupt activities. Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of layers of the government was also a lot of a lot of uh, big tenders for projects like construction projects going to people who were connected with the ANC members themselves, and uh, nepotism and all kinds of things. Mm. So the problem with that is. You had the system where people were uneducated, didn't have access to everything that they needed, and the people who were supposed to put it right didn't put it right yeah. as they should have, and they were focused on themselves. and And this is the problem that you have. I mean, it's not it's it's not just South Africa; it's many other countries where the government is not looking out for the for the, for, for everyone as they mm-hmm. should be. And and there's all kinds of problems in South Africa, like with service delivery, running water, electricity. There's 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 a lot of communities who don't have these basic things. The people are going down to the rivers to wash and clean their clothes. And they a lot of people are stealing electricity. So they literally run a cable, an electrical cable from the main power lines into their townships so that they can have electricity because they don't have electricity. Of course, that is extremely dangerous. People die during this process of trying to route this electricity from the main power lines. It's just, it's, 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 it's a mess because there is this still this gap between the incredibly rich and the incredibly poor. And, and it's, 
it's very interesting. I saw it now when I was in Johannesburg. Um, you have Santon City, which is a suburb uh, in the north northern parts of Johannesburg metropolitan area, and it's got it's like the financial capital of South Africa. You could say mm-hmm. there's huge companies there, this massive uh, skyline and so much money, so many amazing cars driving around mm. and just almost like a fence away. Uh, uh, Nick, there's a border that runs between Santon city and the neighboring township. And <laughs> within 50 meters, 50 meters, you can see this huge financial riches, wealth, and 50 meters away is the complete polar opposite, mm. living right next to each other. So that's still what's what's this, the problem that South Africa is facing is there's not enough being done to bridge the gap between the very rich and the very poor. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I don't have an answer. I don't know what it would take. Yeah, that, that's a hard one, right? Yeah, but, but what I can say is it looks to me like the, rec- the more recent governments have been mismanaging the situation mm. and not delivering what they said they would deliver for the ele- election promises. Next question. Is it possible? Cause there's also some people who say, you know what, George, it's just actually impossible for these groups to coexist. They should probably just get each their own side and then they'll be in peace. And then who cares what the other side does? Um, then the, the criminality, the violence, the corruption will end. Yeah. What I would just say about that. I don't think it would end the criminality. And again, it's it's just again another form of apartheid, really, if you're doing something like that. And and no one wants to live a secluded life. Like it, it, even now in South Africa, all different parties are dependent on different people. So you do have a lot of codependence and working together. And when I was there, I could see the people, the people, like on the grassroots level, you could say. People getting together, white people, black people, uh, people of Indian descent, people of mm-hmm. uh, w- what they call people of uh, colored people, which is mm-hmm. mixed race, um, yes. mixed race people, all working together, living together in the same space and getting along. And it, it, South African people are beautiful. Like it's a, They're amazing. I saw it when I came back there after being in Germany for so long. It's just so refreshing, so open, so ready to smile and everything. Um, so there is already a lot of coexistence that's happening and it works. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's just the government is not helping the people that needs to be helped. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think um, it is definitely possible to coexist. I, I, I come from a country which is extremely multicultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when people tell me it's not possible, I'm like, well, we have examples of it. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm living evidence that it's possible. Yeah. Um, I, and I would almost say that the problem in South Africa is not black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that the, 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 there's there's too much poverty. There's a lot of poverty and a lot of the the kick the, the, the following effects from from apartheid. This lack of education being one of the biggest things is uh, still in play today, and that I think is the biggest problem. It's not necessarily a racial problem anymore. Yeah. It's, Maybe it's, it's a now class. exactly. Yeah. It's an economical. Mm-hmm. economic or social problem now and mm-hmm. not a racial prog- pro- problem per se. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you think Germans misunderstand about South Africa? Like from the conversations you've had with them and what would you like to tell them about your country to kind of clarify things to them? Yeah, well, the, the thing about, I must say about Germans is that they have a very good understanding of South Africa. Actually, I'm constantly astounded wow. by how much Germans know about South Africa. 
because Germans are quite well read. They uh, they know a lot of history and and they know what's happening in the world basically. And I'm, sometimes I'm speaking to Germans and they tell me facts about the country, South Africa, that I think, how could you even know that if you weren't living <laughs> in the country? Like, how is it that you know this fact? Uh, so there's not much. I think I think I would like to point out more this, this disparity between very rich and very poor. It's something that I know also exists in Germany, but not not to this degree that you find no. it in Africa. Like in Africa, it's it's and in developing countries, it's it's much more extreme, much much bigger gap, and the 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 poor are really poor, like struggling to have one loaf of bread a week. That like they're literally earning yeah. enough for just a loaf of bread. Uh, people, the moment they have enough stuff, they, they they build a house, but they don't they can't they don't have enough money to build the whole thing, so they stop building it in the townships and then they wait until they've got enough bricks and mortar and stuff. And then they build it on. So every, like all these houses are kind of work in progress the whole time. It's just like, like it's just something you don't understand until you see it. And I think not just Germans, but everyone would benefit from that because it gives you a lot of perspective about how privileged we are. I mean, like the job that I get to do, the amount of money that I'm paid for the job that I do, mm. it's just, uh, it, it's it's difficult to put into perspective when you know that there's this kind of poverty and struggle in the world. So it's good to see that. And I think I wish that Germans would see that a bit more. Yeah, I think it, just in general, just have a little bit more empathy. Yeah, yeah. I just We read the headlines and we, we see numbers, but we don't see the people behind those numbers, behind yeah, those stories. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that's a big part of what I try to do with my podcast is try to build bridges between people and help see other perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, yeah, it's so great to talk to someone from that country who can give us that perspective. Because I can talk about South Africa, but I, it doesn't come across as impactful as yeah. when I actually get to talk to someone from that country. Yeah. Any final words, something that you want to say before we end? I would say people need to visit South Africa because you, you you mentioned the criminality aspect and and we've spoken about a lot of the negative aspects. But what I can mm-hmm. say is South Africa is an incredible, incredible country to visit. And now that the borders are opening up, I was just there. It was easy enough to travel there. You just need a PCR test. If, if, if anyone has been thinking about going to South Africa, just go and see it because just the amount of cultures that you faced with, the food, the people, and the landscape, the, the, the oceans, Cape Town is one of the most beautiful cities that I've seen in my life wow. and the coastline. And the, we, we also have mountainous regions and, and uh, it's safe for tourists because, you know, uh, the tourist areas are very well policed. <laughs> you know, we got mm-hmm. most of our police forces making sure that the tourism industry is okay while the rest of the country goes to hell basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as far as crime and everything, you're relatively safe in the main areas, uh, the tourist areas and stuff. So it is, it is relatively safe to visit South Africa. And like I said, it is an amazing experience. And that is one thing I would say is my last words is visit South Africa if you can at some point. Um, I'll promise you I'll I'll make an effort. (laughs) I would love to see Africa. It's one of my biggest dreams in life. So now it's on the bucket list. South Africa, we're going to do it. Yes, bucket list. There we go. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sean, for your time. And um, I hope that this brings value to some of the listeners to get that perspective from someone who actually lived through the apartheid and, and saw um, like a great man like Mandela uh, come to power and, and yeah. be able to bring these different communities together and try to create peace. 
And I didn't even tell you I touched his hand. I shook his hand. I shook Mandela's hand. Wow. That's really cool. It was an amazing moment, yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Sean. Um, Well, hopefully we get to do this again. Yes. And maybe talk more about that philosophical (laughs) aspect we started with. Yes. Very good. Thanks so much for inviting me on, George. Yeah, yeah. All the best. So that was my interview with Sean. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope that you guys got some value from it and that you were able to learn some things from our discussion. Hopefully you can see South Africa with new eyes from a new perspective now. I'm interested to get your answers to the following question. What do you know about South Africa and would you like to visit it one day? I definitely want to visit. So if uh, anybody wants to join me, you're more than welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with your friends. It would mean the world to me. If you're interested in improving your business English, you can check out and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Canadian Wants to Know. That's it for this episode. Also, bis nächstes Mal.